Credit markets are bad, right? Entrepreneurs should avoid them? Well, I'm not so sure anymore. Today, we'll talk about how to operate in crowded markets, about whether you should actually be scared of them like everyone says you should, and about why you should maybe run towards them rather than running away. The worst thing you can be is a small fish in a big pond, right? Well, we'll get to it. But first, we've got to talk about squash. I never played squash or really even heard of it before I went to business school, but business school, especially in the South, has some squash. The kid in my class whose last name had the Roman numeral 4 at the end of it was on the Yale squash team that won the NCAA championship, and that is maybe the most business school sentence ever spoken out loud. But squash is actually really fun. A friend of mine got me into it and we played three times a week for a few months. I was more athletic, I was bigger, and I had decent racket skills from some tennis growing up, but I got beat literally every game. Like, I lost every single game. The funny thing was, I didn't even feel like I was that much worse. Usually in a sport, it's pretty obvious if one person is so much better that they'd win every time they play, but it didn't feel that lopsided. Not only that, at the end of each game, I would be absolutely drenched in sweat, and my friend would barely be breathing hard. It was like we were playing different sports and I just couldn't figure it out. After one particularly demoralizing game, we grabbed a drink at a bar and I pushed on him a bit. What the hell was going on? How did I lose every game? He looked at me and smiled. You don't respect the tea. I had no idea what he was talking about. He then explained that the tea was a spot in the center of the court about two thirds of the way towards the back wall. He said that being in that spot was the only thing that mattered in squash. From there, you could get to any shot. But more importantly, if he was in the center, that meant I wasn't. If I was in the back left corner, he'd hit the ball to the front right and I'd have to avoid him and go get it. I had to take an extra three steps on every shot. He didn't have to be perfect to get me running like a cat after a laser pointer, because I always had to avoid him. The court was much bigger for me than it was for him. He told me that squash is a game of spacing and a game of spacing only. Carve out and command the space around the tee and you'll win. He also solved another mystery for me. Sometimes when I hit short shots, he wouldn't even go after them. He'd just forfeit the point. He said he was happy to give up those. The degree of difficulty for me to make those shots was really high, and he'd rather encourage me to try those and conserve his energy than go after them and probably not get them. His rule was to defend the tee. If he stuck to that, without exceptions, he was confident he'd win every time. And he did, even after I learned about the tee. Startups, particularly when you're competing in a crowded market, are like squash. The name of the game is discipline. Finding your tee, finding the space you'll command and the space you'll own, and making everything you do about strengthening your hold on that space. Discipline is hard. It forces you to choose where you're going to play. But if you do it right, you'll create an enormous amount of opportunity. Big markets are big for a reason. They solve problems that matter. Owning a piece of those markets is a great place to be. I've always had a problem with the big fish in a small pond analogy. The size of the fish really isn't the thing we should be focusing on. It's all about choosing the pond. Now, let's talk about how to carve out space in a crowded market with a little help from a company that makes gloves for strollers after some smooth jazz. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox, a monthly membership program that provides structure, strategy, and network for entrepreneurs testing and building startup ideas on the side. We help you flesh out and test your idea so you can understand its potential and start working purposefully towards that potential. We put everything we learned from seven years helping over 350 idea stage entrepreneurs 
build businesses that raised over a hundred million bucks and are now worth nearly a billion into this program. It's a clear step-by-step path with target metrics that'll take you from idea to product. You'll get direct feedback from us as you build and a built-in network. It's the thing I would have killed for when I was working on my idea without direction or a team, which is exactly why we built it. The membership has grown fast the past few weeks. Come and join us. We're gonna launch 250 businesses this year. One of those might as well be yours. Head to gettacklebox.com slash no whisper ideas to get the podcast listeners deal. And if you do, I'll see you on Wednesday at our one-on-one strategy session. Back to it. Credit markets make some things harder, but one thing much, much easier. Whenever someone pitches us an idea, there's always an elephant in the room. That elephant comes in the form of the only question that matters early on. Does anyone care? As we've covered a bunch of times on this podcast, there are very few things that people actually care about. People complain about a lot, but they'll never raise a finger to solve most of the problems in their lives. Your biggest struggle as an entrepreneur won't be against competition or raising funding or hiring a team. It'll be a never-ending fight against indifference, a war against apathy, which can be hard to hear if you've devoted your life to solving this problem. I've learned not to ask the question directly, does anybody actually care about the problem you're solving, after getting a cup of water tossed in my lap at La Colombe a few years back. But that's the question we're always getting at, and that's the question we're always trying to understand. As a side note, the person that tossed a small cup of water in my lap apologized profusely, then we had a nice chat about how that question had been rattling around in the back of their mind for months. They then Venmoed me money for dry cleaning, which didn't make sense because it was water. As I was leaving, someone who'd seen the whole thing grabbed my arm and said, relationships can be hard, but I know you two are going to make it. I'm really going to miss New York City when I leave. Anyway, this is the best part about crowded markets. Crowded markets are crowded for a reason. People care about the problem you're solving. We don't have to worry about the elephant in the room. If someone tells me they're building a new dating app, we can skip all the do people care questions. Maybe their specific take on dating apps won't be appealing, but I know for a fact that if you can help people who want a relationship find a relationship, they will not be apathetic about it. In crowded markets, we know that people will care. We know that they'll pay, and we know that they'll try new things. These are massive prerequisites for a business, and they shouldn't be overlooked. The knocks on crowded markets are well-worn, with the biggest one that competition drives up customer acquisition costs and drives down profit but I don't actually believe either one has to be true. To combat the customer acquisition cost point, we found that the larger the number of people who care about something, the more niche cohorts are gonna emerge. These cohorts have more channels now than ever to band together. Reddit, Discord, Slack, Facebook, offline, people with common goals and problems have never had more opportunity to organize around that common experience than they do in 2022. Think about dating apps. If you want to start a dating app to help extreme endurance athletes in Brooklyn meet, you'll have plenty of channels to find and connect them. I just googled endurance athlete Brooklyn and there are meetups for these people with hundreds of members who go on runs, rides, and swims all the time. There's also a discord that talks about new products and there are plenty of podcasts that talk about which events people should be competing in. Every corner of every market has a niche channel now. And on the profit point, when people care about something a lot and existing products don't do the job, they'll be willing to pay a premium to get their problem solved. If you're solving a problem that's too small for big competitors in the space to care about, but you solve it in a really effective way, the smaller guys will pay a large percentage to have you do it. 
And on the pro side of the ledger for crowded markets, they've got data, pricing, market, and search data. You can look at Google Trends and see all the permutations people are already searching for. Like you could see if people are searching for how to meet endurance athletes, and they are, kind of a lot. I almost want to put up an ad for it. When people care, they search. You can also see people that have tried to start your business in the past. They probably exist and you can see where they went wrong. Another check on the pro side, and maybe my single favorite characteristic of crowded markets, there's consensus, and consensus is bad. When a market gets mature, everyone starts to think the same way. Things that might not actually be true get adopted as fact, and no one checks to see if these are, in fact, facts. Warby Parker is one of the more obvious examples. The glasses market was as saturated as the bread and the good French onion soup. Sorry, it's a cold winter day and I've got soup on the brain, but Warby Parker entered anyway. The founders of Warby looked at the market and asked the golden question, what does everyone else believe that might not be true? It turns out when they went back to the first principles of making glasses, they could do it for less than half the price of the big guys and still make a huge margin. So crowded markets give you a real shot. They start by increasing the likelihood that the problem you're solving actually matters enough to your customer for them to solve. They generate niche channels you can leverage for acquisition that the big guys will have overlooked. They give you data to understand the solutions people are actively searching for already. And they give you the dangerous groupthink, the potential that all the existing businesses are built on first principles that are no longer true. The crowded markets that I like the most, the ones I'd suggest you go after, are the ones that have a terrible answer to a key question. If we were going to build this industry today from scratch, would it look anything like the industry that exists? I'm not saying you should jump into the deep and stormy waters of education, but if we were building the education system from scratch today, would it look anything like what we've got? If we ask the question, what is school really for, would the answer lead us to our current system? Almost certainly not. But that still doesn't mean you should just set out to revamp education. You need to carve out your space. Here's one of my favorite examples of carving out space. The delivery app space is crowded and full of venture funding. But the best business in the space is Slice, a pizza-only delivery app. Slice carved out the pizza market. They focused on that customer and served them better than the big apps could. I love Slice so much that I made a podcast just about it that I'll put in the show notes. They understood the problems that pizza shops had and they solved them. They flew under the radar for a while because the bigger apps weren't concerned about the mosquito flying around picking off pizza places, but now they've commandeered the space and they cannot be knocked off. Every product decision they make supports what's specifically best for pizza restaurants, which are actually pretty unique in the restaurant space. They've then solved adjacent problems that are even more unique to pizza restaurants. They've grown vertically. Owning your space makes it really tough to copy. Back in business school when I wasn't playing squash, we had a case study on Southwest Airlines. All the product decisions Southwest made were to reinforce the niche they'd carved out in the airline space. The specific hubs they flew to, the number of flights per day and the times, the boarding protocol, the points that they offered, it all supported and reinforced the space that they'd carved out. When Delta tried to take some of Southwest's business, they copied each feature one by one the boarding protocol, the hubs. But each of the 10 characteristics that made Southwest so special, Delta could only do maybe 80% as well. When you add up a bunch of features that are 80% as good as Southwest, you get a product that is much, much worse. 
All of this is to say that if you want to operate in a crowded market, you can probably do it and you shouldn't write it off right off the bat. There's a lot to be excited about. We've just got to find your tea, which is something that sounds like it'd be on a weird late night pop-up ad selling testosterone pills, but I'm too far into the episode to call it something else. You've got to find your tea and build every bit of your business to reinforce and support it. We had an entrepreneur pitch us the other day for a career search app. There might not be a more crowded market on planet Earth. She told us that the important thing was to help people who were, quote, lost in their careers. I push back mostly because I'm pretty sure everyone is lost and your tea can't just be everyone. You don't get to own the whole court. So I dug deeper. What do you know about this lost customer that others don't? She immediately started talking about structure. She'd been consulting for people to help them get jobs for years, and what she found was that this lost customer often floated, going back to school to get a degree or trying to find some rotational program they could enter. When she probed, it became clear they didn't really know why they'd want to go back to a rotational program or back to school. It was really just that being the CEO of your life is exhausting, and it's a massive change right after college. Some people need the pendulum to swing back the other way to get some structure, get their footing. I pushed her a bit more. What's the thing everyone in the industry believes is true, but you know isn't? She replied that most companies think the cure to people not knowing what they want to do is removing friction from applying to jobs. They all market how easy it is to apply to 50 jobs to go on 30 interviews, and they say that this is the thing that's going to allow you to find what you want to do with your life. You're going to be able to learn through that interview experience. But, she said, that actually makes things way worse. It makes people more overwhelmed and feels like a waste of time. It's the opposite of structure, and it is the opposite of what her lost clients want. They want someone to tell them what they're good at and tell them what they should do. Or, at the very least, tell them how to figure it out. Okay, I said, and specifically, who is this customer you're talking about? Where are they coming from, and where are they trying to go? She replied that the customer we can help the most is the person who thinks of themselves as creative but took a non-creative job out of school. Now, they feel stuck on that trajectory and don't know what it looked like to change. What jobs exist at 50-person companies? Are they even qualified to do any of them? Where can they be creative? They think of themselves as creative, but are they actually? Are they good enough? They've got questions. As she talked, the potential space she was carving out began to get a little bit clearer. She could target people who went to banks or consultancies straight out of school because that's the easiest thing to do. There's the least friction going from school to one of the places that recruit on campus, and they pay well. But a few years in, maybe you realize this isn't the right thing, and it might feel like you're on a bus, and if you don't get off the bus now, you never will. If these customers crave structure, the product would need to lean into that, a structured program that helps people transition from corporate to smaller companies. Maybe it's nights and weekends at first. Maybe it's a familiar program with other people. It should be a funnel, quickly moving them through options down to decision points with feedback from experts who can tell them, you will be good at this. Go from an associate at a bank to a product manager at a 50-person startup. If you own that path or even a more niche one to start, you can maybe get a foothold. You'll at least start getting some data if you choose that that's the first space that you want to try and carve out. Competing in a crowded market is all about the nooks and crannies, the places where you can find unexpected value. Customers that have been overlooked because some fundamental building block has been assumed by everyone to be one way, but you think it might be the other. There's a company called 7AM in New York City that started off making giant gloves that strap onto your stroller for New York winners. 
they now have lots of other accessories for these winter walks. It's kind of a weird thing to own, the stroller in the winter. But they do own that, and now they own the walk. And they sell vertically, up and down. You won't see a baby in a sleeping bag in a crib in New York City that doesn't have a 7 a.m. logo on it. And let me tell you, every baby's got one. Start by asking the question about a crowded market, what's everyone believe? List out all the things that are true. Start seeing which ones you disagree with. Find value in unexpected places. Think from first principles. Carve out space. Run tests. Find your tea. Yep, that still sounds weird. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by the Tacklebox membership. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, head to gettacklebox.com slash ideas to get the podcast listeners discount. And if you do, we'll see you at Working Wednesdays. Have a good week.